Are you struggling with your private practice? Do you need ideas about how to expand and grow your mental health practice? Would you like to listen to seasoned experts share their successful strategies and story of success? You've come to the right place. Welcome to Psych Biz Season 2. Hey, Sarah, how are you today? I'm good, Howard. How are you? I'm doing well. It's so great to be with you once again as we start a new season of Psych Biz. I'm it's so excited. It's super exciting. Yeah, this is fantastic. So, you know, um, I bet you, the listener, are wondering whatever happened to <laughs> the second installment of Compassion Fatigue Awareness and Burnout. Where is it? Did it did it fall somewhere into the depths of the internet only to fade <laughs> away forever and ever and never come to the website or to to the to the local uh uh streaming channel that, that you listen to your podcast? No, it didn't. <laughs> what happened to it, Sarah? Come on, tell them. Well, you know, there there's all this technical stuff with the podcasting and sometimes everything goes just the way we want it to. And sometimes, you know, life happens and (laughs) technical difficulties are something we all experience from time to time. And so when we were recording the second part of the compassion fatigue, um, you know, section, it, it didn't quite come out the way that we wanted it to. And so we get to, you know, talk about it now and have it be a great introduction to season two. Absolutely. You know, and my reflection of it is obviously the content was great um, and fun. I really enjoyed our dialogue and, um, you know, sharing. What was interesting was listening to the playback and realizing the audio issues that we were having. It was really on my end, admittedly. (laughs) And, uh, and, and, you know, I got Eli to take a look at it with me finally, and he was able to identify what the issue was that we thought it was a mic issue. It was really a setting issue in zoom. And I want to be transparent with our listeners about that so that when they do projects that especially involve technology, that, they understand as well what it's a learning curve for us. It's a learning curve for anyone that endeavors to really stretch their comfort zone a little bit, if you will. And so for us, you know, this is a, a redo. We did, we, you and I had a lot of dialogue about this. Should we put it on the way, it, what it, the way it is? Should we wait and, and redo it? Cause this redo was, is, is months coming a few months later yeah. We we ended we were putting it into season two, which is also kind of exciting. I thought I really realized in my mind, like this is exciting because people are going to be on their um, toes, going like, "What happened to installment two? And it's like now it's tune in to next season. Although of course, <laughs> those listeners who are catching up will find it right away. <laughs> uh, and so, but you know, it's also kind of neat that we're doing compassion fatigue strategies. Uh, and following up on this second half in the beginning of season two, because I think it's a great way to kick off season two. We're going to be doing a lot of exciting new things in season two. And so to kind of transition by finishing up what we start, what we ended in with season one, where we were talking about self-care and compassion fatigue awareness and burnout prevention, that we'll continue that with actual strategies and then we're going to really move into some really fun stuff that I think 
our listeners are going to really enjoy. You want to tell them what we're going to be doing? Well, so for season two, we're going to be bringing on guest speakers who are experts who are going to come and talk with us and really share their insights on a variety of super, you know, really interesting topics that are really relevant to, you know, our audience and uh, it's a great opportunity to learn from a variety of people and, and just have really great conversations that, that everybody gets to be a part of, which is super fun. Really, I'm excited. And you and I both know we've already interviewed a few folks. Yes. The interviews are going really well. Don't it's pretty you fantastic. I absolutely think that it's going really well and we're having really, really interesting conversations. And I think that a podcast like this is just a great opportunity for people to learn from a wide variety of people who they wouldn't necessarily have an opportunity to like sit down and chat with, but we can ask on their behalf the kinds of questions that they would ask if they got to sit down with all of these interesting and really, you know, knowledgeable people. Yeah, and many of these people that we're interviewing have things like books that they've written and they talk about their writing process. And, you know, uh, they really, we've been asking folks about, you know, what's been successful for you and what's been difficult during your success process. And some of these experts are experts in building private practice, some of them are experts in other areas. And I really think that you, the listener, are going to enrich yourselves in this season two in a different way than, than what we've done in season one in terms of, you know, talking about some of the practical aspects of building business. So this is going to be uh, another different change and unique approach. Let's actually dive into our topic today because I do want our listeners to benefit from the experience of learning about ways we can remedy the problems that I identified as you know, in compassion, fatigue, awareness, and burnout prevention. And so, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'm at your whim. I know you're excited to ask me questions because you and I love talking about preventing burnout and stress management, and this is my area. So I'm going to let you take over here. Fantastic. Um, so like you said, in the last episode, we were really focusing on identifying symptoms of compassion, fatigue, and burnout. And today we want to kind of pivot to talk more about what the antidote is to those problems and what are strategies that people can use to avoid compassion fatigue and burnout. And I know that this is really your topic of expertise that's so tied up with the business that you do. And so I guess maybe just start us off by talking about what are some strategies, like what people can do once we now understand better what these problems are. How can we prevent them or treat them once they've started to happen? Absolutely. Uh, so first of all, I want to caution the listener and just let you know that not all the strategies I'm going to suggest are going to be a fit for you. Uh, you know, you have to play around with different ideas and be willing to try new things. Uh, and obviously, you'll already have some go-to strategies that are effective uh, for you but that really addressing it is the first and foremost important thing. If you avoid it and you don't address it, it's going to likely still exist or, and, and even worsen. So I want to start off by mentioning that important point. Uh, you know, mental health professionals and other care professionals are absolutely notorious for blowing it off. And 
sort of saying, I'll deal with this later. I'm, I'm not going to worry about this now. And so I really, really want to bring caution to you about that stance, because if you're not filling your cup up and making sure that you're taking care of yourself, you, you're not going to be good for your clients that you work with. And so, you know, you hear about the airplane mask analogy, right? You put your right. mask on first before helping another person. I always like to use that analogy when it comes to burnout prevention, compassion, fatigue awareness, because we're so susceptible to that, that we have to do our self-care. Now, as far as actual strategies, I like to break it down into three essential areas. And much like we as mental health professionals think about cognitive interactions, or I should say cognitive interventions with our clients, emotional interventions and behavioral interventions, these are the three primary categories that I would tell you, the clinician and business owner, to work with when it comes to your own self-care. So, you know, it's very simple for the, for the mental health clinician, especially because you've studied this. So you take, for example, cognitive strategies. And instead of running with your negative narrative about your stress, like, oh my God, I don't have enough clients. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a, a, a bad therapist. I'm never going to be successful. And that's a, that's a stress-oriented thinking pattern. And you, the clinician, are probably not aware of that because you're so focused on the stress itself. So what I would tell you to do is really get focused on the content of the negative thought and then using strategies to combat that thought essentially to disprove it. Um, and if you've ever read any of Dr. David Burns's work, he wrote the famous book, uh, Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy. I use it for depression and anxiety clients all the time. Uh, use that, take a page out of that book and turn it on yourself and use that exercise. It's like on page 78 of his book. I've used it for everything in my life when it comes to cognitive, you know, cognitive change. It's called the Automatic Thoughts Rational Response Exercise. And for those of you who are familiar with his work, it's really powerful to do that work as a business professional and in your personal life. So for example, I did that work when I was having a lot of insecurity and negative thoughts around graduate school when I was a young graduate student, because I had an academic uh, problem in terms of a bit of a learning disability that I had to work my way through. And so I was really fearful about being successful academically and thinking I could even get to the point where I could open up a private practice. And so I would use a lot of that negative automatic thinking, writing down and then turning it into rational responses, revolving around my insecurities and, and perceived inability to be uh, an effective student. And, it, and in doing that, it, really built my confidence. And I'm proud to say, I don't like to flaunt this because I'm very humble about it, but I'm also proud of myself. I did really well in grad school and not just grades wise, but I really felt like I learned something. So that's the cognitive side of it. That's one aspect of doing that. Go ahead. Were you going to say something? That's just such a great story. And I love that you shared that. And it's so powerful First of all, because it's showing the power of the strategies that you learn as a therapist and that you can now share those with your own clients, having used them successfully in your own life. And it's so much better 
when you are able to experience this is a strategy that I know works and has made a difference for me. And then when you're sharing it with other people, you have that insight into it. You have that personal experience with it. That just makes it such a, a more meaningful and, 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 and it's such a, such a great thing to then pass on to other people. So I love that. Yeah. I'm, you know, that's, I'm, I appreciate what you just said because I'm, I'm one of these people that, you know, I pick up things from books I read, uh, but I also pick up things from life experience. Right. And so, you know, not to go off topic here, because I do think this is about stress management too. And, and that is that if I find something that's valuable, whether I read it in a book or I experience it in life, why wouldn't I practice it and then share it with other people like the, our listeners, uh, you know, colleagues, other colleagues and, and my patients themselves and even my family members and my friends. I mean, you know, to me, you pick these things up and they be, they stick, they really stick. And so this is one cognitive intervention that is my, my go-to. Now, another cognitive intervention, just real quick, is, is just to take, instead of like sitting down and doing the grueling grind of, of, of picking apart each one of these negative thoughts and reinstalling a positive thought or what I call a realistically positive thought, you can shorten that exercise and just do what I call a a positive mantra where Mm -hmm. you you, you take a perceptive experience and you immediately attach a language that is positive, right? So for example, if, if, if I have a negative thought, like, oh my God, it's really hot today, right? I can quickly say, it's, I can quickly say it's beautiful out today, you know, rather than, oh my God, it's really hot. Does that make sense? It does. And I don't want to get too far off topic either, but let me just ask for clarification real quick because, you know, I guess I don't know that much about mantras. My familiarity with them is, you know, there's like this one phrase that you say over and over while meditating in order to reach some sort of clarity or... Mm-hmm. you know, like a different level of consciousness or something, but you're using the word a little differently than I've heard. So what, when you say mantra, like, what does that, what does that actually mean? Okay. That's a great question. I'm, what I'm getting at is a phrase or a, a way of perceiving things that you can lock yourself into and, and, um, to change a perception that you, that you might automatically move into and then to use it over and over again, uh, for that situation, Um, now, you know, I'm not saying let's get OCD about it, but let's, let's actually, you know, maybe just sort of breathe through it. So that actually comes to, uh, the, the second area is when you're, when you're doing, you know, see the, the beautiful thing is, is that all three of these areas will integrate with one another, the cognitive, the emotive, and the behavioral, because a mantra can be, can be emotive and it can also be behavioral. You're obviously doing something and you're taking language and you're rewording it in a positive way and then you're breathing through it in a in a you know you're literally breathing that mantra into your body from your brain down into your body does that make sense yeah it absolutely does and you're saying that a mantra that in this case a mantra can be anything sure. and that you would just make up a phrase it doesn't have to be like something that's taken from somewhere else no like it no can be anything yeah it can be a phrase it, 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 you own it you you create it you make it up and it becomes yours um let me see if i can illustrate one that i do a lot um uh one that i like to do is uh you can get through this you got this man 
you know? Yeah. So I'll say, and I like to, I, I like to say things like, you got this man, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you, and, you know, I, I use words like, I, I use things like, dude, you got this, yeah. you know, or whatever. <laughs> and and so the little things like this, and some of you listeners were probably sitting there going like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. You know, um, yeah. as opposed to, as opposed to, um, the, the reactive mantra or not mantra, but the reactive phrase that, that annoys me such as like, you know, you're, you, you're, you're, ne- you're never going to, you're never going to succeed at this one thing right. or whatever, you know, or, right. or, uh, this sucks and it's always going to suck. You know, yeah. I, I've got narratives running around my head like that. And the, and all that does is it invites the stress and invites the fatigue right. and whatnot. And so for me, it's about replacing the mantra, but it's not just about the exercise itself of rewording it. You have to go further. You have to breathe it. You have to meditate with it. You have to actually, you actually have to live it. It, it, it. It's, and that's the hard part, I think, is, is really sort of like buying into it and believing in it. And so how do we do that? I'm, I'm really glad we're talking about it this way because I never thought we would talk about it in such an integrative way. How do we do this? So I recommend the, the emotive part is feeling it in your physiology. Emotions are in our physiology, Sarah. And so um, what I have, this, I have this saying, okay, and you know about this because you actually put it on my website. <laughs> and it goes something like this, from the neck to the waist and side by side, that is where your feelings reside. Most of us feel our feelings or try to experience our feelings in our heads, right? What is this about? Why am I feeling this way? You know, and don't get me wrong. It's important to get curious about our feelings. Only that curiosity really should drop into our bodies, right? Yeah. So how do we, how do we connect that if it's not something that intuitively we're feeling or understanding? Right. How do we get better at understanding the way that our how does that thoughts, work? How does it work? Yeah, beautiful question. I want to get into my research a little bit. So, and my research comes from twenty years of private practice and over twenty-five years of being in the field lived experiences, all the, all the interviews that, uh, and reviews that I, books that I've read, reviewed and read. Uh, and you know, I wish that my research was far more formalized and that I came from academia in research because I think I, I uh, part of me wishes that. And, and the reason is, is because it would be much more established, I think in the academic community. Uh, but, but my experience in, in my sort of, you know, soft research has led me to believe that human beings detach their brain from their body and they stay in their brain. And, they, and there are two essential parts to the brain. There's much, many more than two, but there's that prefrontal cortex, the, the front of the brain, the, the part that I call the TOP system or top system because it's in the top of our head. And that involves, and TOP actually is an, an acronym I made up, thinking, organizing, and planning, and among many other things. But that's really what the three essential things are in our prefrontal cortex. And then the limbic system where our amygdala is and our emotive sort of reactive and instinctual area is, is the SOS system or the safety or survival system. And so our emotions are constantly triggered by that system because it's, it's our emotions are experienced and localized in the brain part of it. So we have a reaction in the SOS system that says, 
danger. If I, if, if I, if I try this new thing and it doesn't work, I'm going to be a bad therapist or a bad business owner. And then I'm going to be so embarrassed and so ashamed. I'm never going to want to be seen for who I really am. Right. That's the SOS system saying, you know, you, you suck. You're terrible. You're not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work. Right. And, and all the, all the Brene Brown shaming statements that she talks about in her research. Right. But when you, and then, and then, and then the, the, um, the TOP brain count, counters that, right? And the TOP brain goes, hmm, let me think about this. Let me organize my thoughts around this and let me do some planning so that I can pinpoint the problem areas and avoid failure so that I don't have to then be embarrassed. And then the SOS system kicks back in and says, yeah, but dot, 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 what about this thing? And then the TOP system goes back into solving and then and solves that problem. And then the SOS system says, yeah, but dot, 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 what about this problem? You're very familiar with this because I'm, I'm, I can see, Sarah and I can see each other and you're shaking your head and I'm sure you can think of examples. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that's my, that's my life. Like, yes, you're absolutely right. This is exactly what happens internally. That's right. And then what happens, yeah. And by the way, we're taught in our Westernized culture society, right? And which is also somewhat of a worldly adopted society. It's it's adopted by the rest of the world sometimes is that what we're taught is, is that we'll deal with our feelings later. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll, we'll deal with the growling stomach and let's not even eat. We don't even need to eat today. (laughs) Right. Even though my stomach's (laughs) growling and I have a hungry feeling, that's a feeling. Forget about food. I don't need to eat right? Or my, or my heart aches because I'm going through a hard time. I don't have time for that. I got to worry about my clients. And so we shove everything down, 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 down. And we forget that we have this torso full of, you know, organs and, 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 you know, feelings, especially, I mean, when you think of a feeling, what organ do you think of? My heart. Yeah. 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 Right. And, and, and when you think of fear, which is a feeling, what area of the body do we often feel butterflies or fearful? In our stomachs. In our stomach. Right. So the heart and the stomach become a really important player in that integrative process. And we're, I, I haven't told you the solution quite yet, but we're in this process of battling between the SOS and the, and the TOP parts of our brain. And we, we always are catching up to our bodies and, 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 and that's why we beat our bodies up, by the way. So we have to reestablish the connection between the whole brain, meaning both parts of the brain, the SOS and the TOP, and into the whole body and create a whole body brain. So to okay. imagine that your brain is in your body. I mean, you think about this, first of all, your body and the weight of the contents of your torso compared to the weight of the contents of your brain is like a nine to one ratio or 10 to one ratio, yeah. right? And yeah. yet we spend t- all of our time up in the one ratio, you know, using this computer in our head, which is very valuable. Don't get me wrong, right? Only we can increase that value by creating a synergistic connection by staying in our bodies. And a lot of people are afraid to go into their, to drop into their bodies because they think they're going to forget their brains. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah. But it makes sense. I can see why people would feel that way. Right. So you're back to your question. How do people do this? Right? Right. I'm going to ask you the listener and Sarah, you can do this with me on screen and and in our talk here, right? Is to take one of your hands and just put it against your heart. 
Okay. Feel that. Feel your skin against your against your your chest and just push push in on it and feel it. And you can feel it reverberating. Take your other hand and put it on your tummy where your where where all that nervous energy might might exist, right? Or a lot of that might exist. And some of you might have nervous energy that you experience in other parts of your body, but it typically emanates from this area and then it it travels, right? It just likes to go where it needs to go. And then let's take a deep, slow breath in, hold it and feel your breath go all the way down slowly through your chest and down below your rib cage and into your stomach and push out on your tummy and feel your hand go out, right? Yeah. And then do it, do it one more time. Like pull in with your in breath, watch your shoulders maybe go up. Yeah. And then just release through. Right. So we'll, I'm going to ask you, Sarah, since you can talk back to me, <laughs> listeners can't, even though I would love listener feedback on this experience. So please share your feedback, you know, in your reviews and whatnot. What was that experience like for you? I felt my shoulders relax. Yeah. I felt like I really did feel like, like my body kind of settle. Yeah, you could feel, I love that you use that word, my body settled, right? So you, you were in your body. And what happened to your brain when that happened? Uh, probably a, a feeling of relaxation. Yeah, and, and, and not only that, you sort of, did, did you notice even for just a millisecond or a moment that you weren't caught up in your brain thinking? You weren't, yeah. you weren't worried about what the next thing was you were going to do. You weren't problem solving, um, you trusted your brain to just go along for the ride, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And you were, you were in your body and you were able to relax. Now, what if I said that you could do this throughout the day, moment by moment, as you're feeling your way through life? It's wonderful. Right? So yeah. this is how I approach my daily work, whether I'm, whether I'm, doing a podcast with you right now, or I have a client in my office or on, you know, virtual therapy, I'm using my body to sense what's going on. And this isn't something I was born with. Believe me, people are probably thinking like, oh, Howard's a therapist and he was born with that. And you either have it or you don't. That's BS. That's not true. The reality is, is that you practice this, you climb into this. I've spent a lot of time moving myself, not away from my brain, but through my body and then letting my brain sort of like go along for the ride. That's fantastic. That's amazing. Can you recommend like, so like, are there certain things that a person should do? Like other than taking those deep breaths, are there like, I don't know, are there books to read? Are there like, absolutely? Just, it's no, so I love broad. It. Like there's so my, much mindfulness. out there. So, so look, look into the area of mindfulness and meditation, right? Okay. So, you know, um, folks that I've been following recently are Jack Cornfield, um, uh, obviously John Cabot Zinn. Some of you know who these folks are. I love Dan Siegel's work. You know, um, Dan Siegel wrote a, has written a lot and researched a lot about the brain itself, and and you know, um, you know, neuro um, uh, the 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 impact of uh, this whole process of. Mindsight is the book he wrote, and it's all about neuroplasticity and connecting our brain in ways that we never imagined that we could. 
Okay. I like Pema Chodron's work. I mean, these are people who have studied, you know, Eastern, you know, philosophy and Buddhism and integrated that with our Western culture. And I never used to believe in this stuff. In fact, I used to criticize it because I came from the school of thought that, you know, mental health is about diagnosis and assessment and behavioral strategy. And, and, you know, let's focus on, you know, cognitive behavioral intervention. Well, cognitive behavioral is very valuable. You have to bring in that emotive body physiology experience. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. And it's fascinating. So you're actually getting into the, the question you asked me before is, is, what, what, what can people do, right? And so this right. is the behavioral realm. And the behavioral realm is really important, right? The behavioral realm is really about movement and energy work, right? So, what, you know, so I've developed this concept. I wrote about it in my book and it's called Find Your Zens, right? So it's in Private Practice Essentials. I forget what chapter. And it's, it's in the chapter about self-care and burnout prevention. And, you know, I talk about that in the book. And so, as you can tell, I'm into acronyms. I talked about SOS. (laughs) I talked about TOP. Find Your Zens is something I've taught in my graduate curriculum. I wrote it in the book. And each letter has a meaningful component to it. There are four essential, what I call, pillars of wellness that are really, really important, okay? And I'm just going to mention each four, and I'll mention one or two things about it. You can go get the book and read read the book and get more in-depth if you want with it. But Z stands for healthy sleep. Got to catch your Zs. E, I'm sure you can guess, stands for, you know, Sarah? Eating? No, that's coming up soon. Okay. It's about movement. Um... I got you. I, ooh, I got Sarah. I got I her on her toes. So I got her on her sorry. heels. He is exercise. Oh, no. oh exercise. Yeah. I should have. I yeah. should have. So I'm exercise. Sorry. And I talk about movement moments, right? I talk about right. creating movement moments and in the book and, and, and ways that you can cultivate uh, exercise. But, you know, the one thing I tell people about exercise, exercise shouldn't feel like a chore. It needs to be something that you enjoy and that's fun right? And not yeah. something that, you know, is like, oh my God, I have to do this. This really blows. I hate it. So yeah. um, exercise is is the E. N, N is nutrition. Nutrition. Yep. I got it. Yep. N, is the, <laughs> N is the food one. Having a healthy relationship with what we put into our body. I've since developed that further. I didn't write about it in the book, but I have these five Ps, right? Where we're really mindfully eating, the five Ps of mindful eating. You want to hear what they are real quick? Yeah, for sure. Planning, has to be really well thought out, procuring, going and getting the food and, and sort of getting into a routine that, that you like to do and getting your food. And if you think about people in olden times, right? In old times, they, they, you know, they, had, they had a lot of planning and procuring in their process, right? Yeah. Harvesting and then hunting and all this stuff. Um, preparing, really taking your time to prepare your foods and being thoughtful about your preparation process. Uh, and then presentation. Because if you think about it, presentation, we want something to be appealing and that we really enjoy. And my favorite, the fifth thing is putting in, <laughs> right? Yeah. And y- you laugh, but you know, it's interesting. I, I, ch- I chuckle at that too. The, the thing about putting in is that it's, it's very, it's in our culture, 
we don't, we, we mindlessly eat and we don't even take our time to process the food and chew slowly and put our forks down and, and really enjoy it and make it a part of our cultural experience of connecting to other people. And, and if people did more, if you did more of that, I think you'd, you'd, you'd feel better and you'd be taking better care of yourself rather than the grab and go society that we have. So nutrition is really, really, really important. And I always tell people in all these categories, by the way, if there's something that's going on for you that is really difficult, consult a professional. So get a sleep study for sleep or talk to a personal trainer or go to a nutritionist or a therapist if you have eating, you know, disordered eating or, or problems with emotional eating. You know, these are important things to take care of. And then the S, the last one, is spirituality. How do you nurture your spirit? And spirituality isn't religion. Religion falls under the category of spirituality. You might, you might say, hey, I'm a religious person and I enjoy going to services and, and you know, or praying or whatever, um, you know, and that's a part of my spirituality. But spirituality can be things like listening to music, creating art, being with friends and family, um, you know, go, doing your exercise can be spiritual. So you can kind of integrate those. So these four things are actual behaviors. These are the behavioral components that help rewire that emotive experience and, the, and, and, and optimize ourselves for, for changing those perceptions. Do you see how they all integrate? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and then the last thing I'll say about this is, um, and, and I think this is important, is that it's a very simple solution. And that is that the antidote to compassion fatigue is compassion. The antidote to compassion fatigue is compassion. And so what do I mean by that? Compassion is empathy plus boundary. So I have this phrase, compassion equals empathy plus boundary. It's imagining what it's like to put yourself in other people's shoes, or if you're talking about self-compassion, your own shoes, right? Imagine what it's like to be in your own shoes. I know that's weird, but it's, it's really important for you to do that for self-compassion and, and have a boundary, right? A boundary is really important. And uh, uh, empathy without boundaries is distressed empathy. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, we talk about two kinds of compassion, compassion for others and compassion for self. And if you want to look, you know, you want some really good material on self-compassion, Dr. Kristen Neff is a, is an expert on self-compassion. She's written about the three elements of self-compassion, which are self-kindness, a common, a sense of common humanity and mindfulness. And then I've added two to her three, I've added two additional self compassion elements. Um, and that is the right to, to you, you have a right to daily joy. So, you know, most of us, like I said, most of us stay in our brain and work hard and try to work and problem solve. And we'll just do joy at the end of our work day, right? We'll do joy when I get to see my kids or when I get to watch my show or read my book. And I think we have a right, as long as we're not hurting ourselves or other people, to connect with joy and live that joy moment by moment from the moment you wake up. That, that to me, is an antidote to compassion, fatigue, burnout, and it's a great way to manage one's stress. The, and then the other element that I've added is gratitude, experiencing gratitude, being grateful for what you have and where you are rather than 
feeling like you don't have enough, right? So if you're expressing gratitude and connecting with joy as often as you can throughout your daily process, I promise you that you're going to really be able to avoid that burnout, manage your stress effectively, and be mindful about your propensity to move into a fatigued state. This is amazing. All of this information is just absolutely fantastic and so, so just thought-provoking and impactful. And I think that our listeners are going to benefit so much from having heard this. I know that I have benefited so much from getting to have this conversation with you. And I just, I think it's really incredibly helpful information. Well, thank you. And you know, it's so wonderful to share this, this element and this aspect. And it was only in the latter parts of my uh, teaching that I discovered the importance of, and, and really in my own clinical practice, that I discovered the importance of in involving self-care as a part of your business plan. You, you have to you have to be able to have a stress management, compassion, fatigue awareness, and burnout prevention part of your business concept and plan. And so I, I just want to I want to circle back to that that macro idea of, you know, why are we here? We're here to talk about business, you know? And so, if you are not taking care of yourself and you are not working through your own personal adversities and, and, and doing a good job of personal daily self-care in the way I've outlined in, in, in this talk we've had, you're going to be making poor business decisions. The more you take care of yourself in the ways that I've suggested and in new ways that you come up with, the better business outcomes you're going to have. And more importantly, the better clinical outcomes you're going to have with your patient and client population. Absolutely. And I think that as, a, as small business owners, it's very, very easy to lose sight of the fact that you are the core of your business and mm -hmm. you are uh, a limited resource, right? Like your ability to do what you do is dependent on your dedication to caring for yourself and preserving your, you know, well-being and your the qualities that you want to be able to share with other people. And if you don't take care of yourself, then you're not going to be able to take care of your patients or your clients or, or the people who you're trying to help through the work that you do. So I think this is such really, really helpful information. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and Sarah, thank you for, you know, wa walking this walk with me and you know, share, you know, asking insightful questions and letting me share this part with, uh, with, with our listeners and with you. Well, I've gotten so much out of it. I have pages of notes here. <laughs> I have books to go, you know, get on Amazon. So it's been awesome. Yeah. And speaking of books, by the way, speaking of books. Yes. I, um, I want to give a couple of my books away, uh, to any listener that sends a review of today's episode and, and or the last episode of season one. So I will give a couple of books, you know, we'll have a limited supply obviously, but go ahead and write a review uh, and send us a screenshot. Uh, and, you know, please be honest in your review. And then we'll, I'll send you private practice essentials and I'll send you an autograph if you want it. Oh, wow, that's so nice. It. And uh, this is for any listener that wants to get a copy and, and, sh and share their feedback about our content. 
Um, and then also, you know, I want to invite listeners to, you know, t- send us an email, let us know what you want to talk about and, um, and, and how you're feeling about this podcast, because, you know, we're in season two now and we're, we're o- always open to new and fresh ideas. Uh, and then the other thing I want to say, I want to do another shift. Uh, and that is, I want to, uh, sort of introduce to our listeners what we're going to talk about in the next, uh, segment, the next episode. So, uh, and actually, it's a really great segue because, you know, it's more about self-care, but it's also about building a business through writing and uh, and whatnot. So we're going to have Donald Altman on our show, and he is a dear friend of mine and uh, a wonderful human being. He's written a ton of books, and so we'll uh, have that installment in a few weeks for you. And he's going to talk about mindfulness. He's going to talk about his writing. And so we're really excited about having him on our show. So let's stay tuned for that one too. Sounds amazing. It was a great conversation and I'm glad we're going to be able to share it with people. Fantastic. Great. Like us, make sure you take a look at our show notes and we'll uh, be with you very soon. 